Good morning. It's really great to be with you all. It's a true honor. Um, as he said, my name is Chris Blackman, and happy to be with you. Uh, just a little bit about me. I more or less grew up in Chattanooga and uh, went to Chattanooga Christian School. So Matt Monahan was one of my teachers, so shout out to him. And truly, he was one of those teachers that like inspired you to like love learning and education. Um, he was my history teacher at the time and actually went on to study history in college. Um, he was one of my inspirations for that. And then he went to RTS and then later I felt the call God into ministry and I also went to RTS. So he kind of paved the way in many ways and has been a great example to me. Um, I am a senior at RTS, finishing up there. I live in the Atlanta area. Um, and, you know, one of my day jobs while I've been in seminary is uh, I work at a private Christian school. I kind of do custodial work and maintenance work for them. And I was talking with one of the staff members um, and telling them I'm from Chattanooga. And uh, they were like, oh, yeah, we went up to Chattanooga like the other weekend, had a little weekend getaway. It's a pretty town. Oh, yeah, yeah, it's great. And they said, yeah, and on Sunday, we, you know, we just looked up kind of a random church to go to. And uh, we found this, you know, kind of little old Presbyterian church in this weird town called Flintstone. Um, but they said it was wonderful. Like, they really preached God's word, and the people were so loving and kind and gracious. And we just had a great time, and we'd love to go back next time we visit Chattanooga. So, uh, the Spirit of God at work within you here um, has been testified all the way in Atlanta. So, amen to that. If you have a Bible, uh, go ahead and open up to the book of Luke, chapter 5. We're going to be in Luke, chapter 5, starting in verse 27. Luke, chapter 5, starting in verse 27 through 32. And when you find it, if you're able, would you please stand for the reading of God's word? Luke 5, verse 27 through 32, here is the word of the Lord. After this, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. And let's pray. Father God, we praise you for you are the almighty God. You can do things that no one else can do. You, in a breath, spoke all of existence into being, Lord. And you also came here to earth in your son, Jesus. And you walked with us and talked with us. And you ultimately died for us and even resurrected from the dead. Lord, we praise you for who you are. We praise you for your power and your might, and we thank you for your love 
and your compassion and your grace to us that we don't deserve. Thank you for your word and how it ministers to us. Lord, we pray that you would forgive us for our sins today, for the ways in which we run away from you. Sometimes just with the many distractions of life, we find you being squeezed out of our time and schedule. Lord, forgive us for that. Help us to love the right things. Help us to seek you first. Lord, forgive us for the ways in which we have not loved our neighbor, ways in which we have ignored our neighbor or felt uh, burdened that our neighbor would want to even spend time with us. Help us to love them, welcome them, and point them to Jesus. Lord, today we pray that you would break into our hearts more and more, that we would grow in love for you and love obeying you. Lord, we pray for those who could not be here today for whatever reason. Uh, If it's sickness, we pray for healing. Um, For any other emergencies, we pray you'd be with your people. We lift all this up in the name of Jesus. Amen. Uh, a while back, I was you know, having dinner with some friends, uh, not all of them were Christians, and we were just chit-chatting, and uh, we were talking about some celebrity gossip that we saw in the news, and I saw this one story of this one celebrity who said, you know, oh, I'm a Christian now. I said, you know, I started reading the Bible, and, you know, I, I believe in Jesus, and I'm a Christian. So I mentioned this story, and I was like, that's kind of crazy, right? I mean, if you knew the celebrity, you'd be surprised at that, and one of my friends who's not a believer kind of looked shocked at this story, and they were like, really? That person? That person is a Christian now? I mean, they're kind of crazy, right? (laughs) It's like, yeah, they're kind of crazy. I mean, it's hard to believe, too. Uh, They said, well, y'all can take them. Like, uh, we don't want them anymore. Yeah, you Christians, you can have them. You know, thinking about that, In our passage today, we're going to be asking the question, who does Jesus call to be his disciples? Who does Jesus want to follow him? Who is he calling to follow him? I think um, when Jesus came, the people he did call were a bit of a surprise to a lot of the religious people at the time. The Israelites, I think, were shocked at some of those that Jesus would spend time with I think sometimes we can have the same reaction even now. In our passage today, the first thing I want us to see is that to be a disciple of Jesus is to be called by Jesus. And uh, that might be kind of like a duh statement, right? (laughs) Like, well, of course, if you're a disciple, Jesus has to call you. But I think there are many people who call themselves disciples of Jesus who may not truly be disciples of Jesus. That to be a disciple is first and foremost to be called by God, to not call yourself to it. You know, Jesus speaks to this himself in Matthew 7. He says, in the end times, there are many who are going to come and say, Lord, Lord, we did great things for you. We even performed miracles for you. And Jesus will say, I never knew you. Or, who are you? (laughs) You're not my disciple." In another way, there are many people, I think, in this time who see Jesus as kind of one of many options. I can be a disciple of Jesus, and I can be a disciple of, you know, Buddha or some other religious figure. 
Jesus speaks against this as well in John 14, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. See that the call to be a disciple is one that has to come from God first. Have we been called by Jesus? You know, this is not a question I asked to be like a manipulative southern preacher, but I think it's an important question because being a disciple of Jesus is an identity change in your life. We dare not limit it to just going to church on Sunday, <laughs> checking off that box. No, no, no. Being a disciple of Jesus is to have your whole life transformed by him. You know, in the Catholic tradition, uh, when you're baptized, you get a baptismal name kind of a Christian name. And, you know, we don't do that in our tradition, and there's some theological reasons we might get into. But I was thinking about this in a story I heard of an international student um, from uh, East Asia, and they were saying, oh, you know, they're introducing themselves. My name is so-and-so, uh, but my baptismal name is this. Uh, and they said, oh, well, you know, it's no problem. We can call you by your, you know, your, the name your parents gave you. Uh, we can work on the pronunciation. They said, no, 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 I don't want to be called by that name. Because when I was baptized, when I believed in Jesus, my life was changed. My identity has changed. I'm no longer that person. And I don't want to identify with that anymore. I want to identify with the life I now have in Christ. So if being a disciple of Jesus means being called by Jesus then this might be bad news for some people. But brothers and sisters, if that's the bad news, then let me give you some good news. Because at the end of this passage, in verse 32, Jesus says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. That the only people Jesus calls to be his disciples are sinners, are broken people, are messed up people are people that have struggled to have put faith in Jesus. That when God looks down on the earth to say, who am I going to call? Uh, he doesn't look for just the people who have followed all the rules right. The people who have gone to church every single Sunday. No, he looks down and he sees broken, sinful people. People who have lied and cheated and stolen. And he says, I want those people to be my disciples. That that's the good news of the gospel. That the call of God is not dependent on our own goodness, but in his, to call us undeserving people to be his. In our passage, we see a great example of that in Levi. Jesus shows up, he sees Levi sitting in a tax booth, and he says, follow me. <laughs> and Levi leaves everything, rises up, and follows him. They, uh, in Luke, he's kind of giving this uh, big theological picture of Jesus creating this new Israel. That, you know, Israel in the past had sinned and had kind of fallen short um, of the law of God. And here Jesus has come to kind of rebuild, restore Israel. And as we mentioned earlier, he's welcoming in people that maybe the Israelites felt a little uncomfortable about. Saying, hold on, Jesus, why are those people... <laughs> in Israel? Why are you spending time with them? And he gives us this information about Levi to really reinforce why Levi might be unqualified 
for this role. Uh, we see that, first and foremost, he's a tax collector. And in this first century Palestine, to be a tax collector was essentially to be a traitor to your country. You are working for the foreign Roman government who was really oppressing the people there. Um, and not only that, but they were kind of uh, like gangsters in a way. Uh, to be a tax collector, you know, you gather the taxes, but the only way to get paid was you had to gather more money than the required governmental amount. So if the Romans said, your taxes are $100, if you want to get paid, you got to pick up $200, $300, however much. So it really rewarded people who had no qualms, uh, blackmailing, extorting people, threatening them with violence, pressuring them. Said, yeah, you could actually make a lot of money in this job if you really have no moral convictions. And Jesus comes and says, I want you to follow me. Not only that, but Luke kind of emphasizes just how unqualified Levi is by telling us that his name is Levi. Um, in the other gospel accounts of this story, they always call him Matthew. And so most scholars agree that what's going on here is Luke is emphasizing the, the tribe that Matthew came from, that he was from the Levitical tribe. Now, bear with me taking a moment, reaching back in our Bible knowledge the tribe of Levi, the Old Testament, was set apart by God to serve in the temple, to serve this unique priestly role. Uh, God said, you're not going to do any other kind of work. You're going to just do this special work, this kind of holy work. You're called to this. And so to see someone named Levi sitting at the, the tax booth working as a tax collector, not only is he... Uh, breaking a whole lot of cultural taboos, but there's a good chance that Levi might have been a failed priest. We see that God had called him to a holy service, and here he was doing anything but holy service. He was uniquely unqualified to be in Israel, let alone the new Israel of Jesus. You know, when I think of Levi, I think, man, I'd like to know, like, what happened in his life, you know? <laughs> What's that trajectory that led him to that? Uh, it makes me think of uh, one of my favorite TV shows, uh, Breaking Bad. Anyone ever seen Breaking Bad? Kind of old show now, but uh, the whole idea is a high school chemistry teacher gets diagnosed with cancer, and to try to pay his bills, he starts selling drugs. And the whole premise of the show is it's not like a dramatic overnight, I'm going to quit my job and sell drugs. No, it's kind of a one little step at a time, one slow move. You know, first I just got to pay my bills to take care of my family, and then the next is oh, that money's kind of nice. We could use a new car. The next is I'm a little bit hooked on the power I get from this job. Well, these might seem like uh, kind of extreme examples to you. I think many times that happens to us. Maybe not going into organized crime, but I think many times the daily grind of life can slowly squeeze out God. That slowly but surely, as we try to pay the bills and feed our kids and keep the car running and prepare for that college fund and stay on top of our studies, we find ourselves 
drifting further and further from that holy purpose that God had intended for us. We see that just about anyone could become the tax collector sitting at the tax booth. It's not as far from her reality as we might like to think. But Luke uh, doesn't just stop there. He's highlighting Levi's faults, but then he gives us this really interesting contrast with the Pharisees. The Pharisees were these religious leaders in Israel, uh, and they were like hyper-religious. Like they took the law of God so seriously that, you know, like no one could complain against them for being lawbreakers in any way. They were litigious in their obedience. And so the Pharisees are there after Levi follows Jesus, and they ask his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees are like, why is Jesus spending time with these awful people? We all know just how bad they are. They call them sinners. Like it's, it's almost synonymous in the gospel, tax collector and sinner. And yet, Jesus kind of corrects their theology a little bit. He says it's not those who are well who need a doctor, but the sick. We see that while we may look at those outside the church as a very kind of like Levi, you know, they've run away from God, they've gone down this much darker path. Jesus is also saying that this kind of, that sin uh, can affect even those within the community of God. That even those who follow God's word can find themselves drifting further and further towards a, a graceless law, towards an, a twisting of God's word to the point where they cut themselves off from other people. We see that the answer isn't that one is right and one is wrong, but that both of them need the grace of God, that Jesus has come, yes, for the Levites of this world who have run away from God, but also for the Pharisees of this world. The Pharisees who have let uh, religious language uh, become a legalistic thing instead of a grace-filled thing. And the message here that Luke wants us to get is that the grace of God is big enough for the both of them. That's the thing that the Pharisees kind of struggle to get. They say, why is Jesus spending time with these bad people? There's plenty of good people, you know, who need the grace of God. Jesus isn't saying, I'm not going to spend time with the good people, but he's saying, I came specifically for those really broken people. Saying the grace of God is big enough for all of you. It's not limited in any way. And you don't need to be envious of God's work in someone else's life. Do we ever do that in the church? Do we ever look at another ministry that's really booming and say, why isn't that happening here? <laughs> why is the grace of God booming over there but not so much here? We can find ourselves being jealous of others. We can find ourselves cutting off others. You know, in uh, the church I go to, it's in the heart of downtown Atlanta. And uh, as you'd imagine, in a big downtown area, there's a lot of homeless people. And they show up on Sunday. Uh, and I say this not to be rude, but I mean, trying to minister to people who are like physically unclean uh, is difficult. And it can be really easy to theologize our way around welcoming them 
and loving them. We say, well, you know, that's not really the ministry of our church. Well, we really want to focus on families. And you just can picture Jesus saying, I came for the sick. <laughs> I came for sick Christian families and sick homeless people too. There was one Sunday, uh, I think I'll never forget, uh, two people came in off the street who were um, in the midst of transitioning uh, gender-wise, if you understand what I'm saying. Uh, and, you know, it's like still winter, and they're wearing next to nothing. And they come into church, and they're singing, and they're worshiping. And then at the end of the service, they run up to the front and grab the pastor and say, can you pray for me? I need you to pray for me. You know, and that's, that's convicting because, you know, it's not a group of people that I normally spend time with. It's, it's not a group of people that, you know, I have some certain in to the community that I can minister perfectly to. And yet here God has provided this opportunity to welcome broken people into his church, into his kingdom. Brothers and sisters, we must not find ways to keep people at a distance who need the grace of God. What Jesus isn't saying is, uh, he's, he's not saying to give up on our holiness. No, yes, we want holiness. Holiness is good. But what he's saying is what these people ultimately need is the repentance that leads to new life. So that Jesus ends the passage by saying, I've not come to call righteous, but sinners to repentance. That to be convicted of our sins by the Holy Spirit, brought to a place where we realize in following Jesus, we have failed in many ways. Daily, we fail in following Jesus. We must repent and turn to him. And as I was thinking about repentance, I was like, you know, repentance is a real act of grace. Because to allow someone to come and admit their wrong and help correct them and bring them back, in and of itself, is a very merciful thing. You know, if someone does you wrong, you don't have to forgive them. <laughs> like, truly, you don't have to. I mean, I think you should. But uh, there's no law saying you have to forgive someone who has done you wrong. And yet here Jesus is saying, God has given us this gift of repentance. That when God calls us to repent of our sins, he's showing us grace. He's not saying, look how bad you are, feel it. Ah. No, he's saying, I know how bad you are. I've known it all along. But my grace is sufficient for even this sin here and now. And my grace is sufficient for you to continue following me. It's enough in the whole journey of life. We've been given a great gift of repentance through Jesus Christ. Repentance is powerful because all of our sins have been put to death on the cross of Christ. That that justice of God that had to punish those sins met with the goodness of God to forgive us and give us new life in the cross. That our old life that Levi was put to death and Matthew could be reborn. And that daily as we follow Jesus as his disciple, we get to kind of reenact this cross experience in our repentance. I mean, look what Levi does. Jesus says, follow me. And it says he left everything behind. He got up. 
and followed him. Or as I'd like to say, he left behind his old sinful self. He was resurrected in new life, and now he follows Christ. This is the good news of the gospel. The final thing I want us to see is that Jesus is calling us to a feast. That the first thing Levi does after Jesus calls him is he invites all his friends over. He says, I want you to see this guy, Jesus. You got to meet him because only he could welcome me back into Israel. Only he could see potential in a broken priest who was in organized crime. He says, only he can give you that new life. Jesus comes to the party and they're celebrating the grace of God. You know, as we're walking on this journey on the way to heaven, as we're repenting daily in our following of Jesus, we have that eternal hope of not just a feast now, but also the wedding supper of the Lamb, the feast that we will one day take part in, that the grace of God will one day make everything right, that no longer will we have Levi's or hard-hearted Pharisees, but that we will live in that perfect communion with the triune God. Brothers and sisters, many of us know Levi's in the world. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your coworker. Some of you parents might have children who have run away from the Lord. It's really easy to lose hope. Um, just in my time in seminary, I have, you know, I can count on Two hands, probably a number of friends who have walked away from following the Lord. And it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to watch. But the hope that we have in Jesus is that those who would run away from the Lord can be brought back. They can follow him again. That the grace of God is sufficient for that. That we don't need to be hard-hearted Pharisees saying, this will never happen. Those people will never change. No, we believe in an almighty God who can bring that kind of repentance and who can lead us to that heavenly feast. As we close, it's a beautiful thing that we're celebrating communion today because this is such a great example of the feast that we have in Jesus, that he feeds us now in that journey, as we walk in repentance and daily grace, and it also points us towards that final feast that we'll have in him, that he is spiritual food for our sin-sick souls, that he can give us strength in the journey. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and we thank you for your work in our lives. We thank you for our great, the grace of Jesus Christ to call sinners to repentance. Lord, forgive us for the ways that we daily fail to follow you. But thank you that you offer us time and time again the hope of Jesus Christ, the hope of new life in you. You also offer us the hope that those we know, our neighbors and our community, are not lost. Lord, that they are not beyond being saved. Lord, that you can save anyone. Lord, we want to take a moment and 
just cry out in our hearts for those we know who are lost, who have wandered away from you, who have hard hearts towards you. We can think of many people we see every day. Lord Jesus, help us to pray for them. Renew our hope that they too can be saved and welcomed in the wedding supper of the Lamb. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.